0: We are jumping into, uh, as we go into the, or as we're in the month of November, we are in, uh, jumping into a new uh, teaching series through the book of Psalms. Uh, We're not hitting all 150 of them. Uh, We're going to look at four, Uh, but looking at this idea of having uh, an unsinkable joy and really what it looks like to practice uh, joy when it matters the most. Uh, joy is a practice. How many, uh, some of you, and I know this because you, your smiles tell the story, uh, you naturally float around in joy, uh, your world revolves around joy, you exude joy as you go, and I don't know how to say this kindly, some of you don't, <laughs> right? Uh, I've been told by many that my my face when I'm not, when I'm just staring does not look like one that is overly joyful, um, uh, I tend to, my wife says when she can catch my eye contact, I smile and she remembers, oh, there he is, right? Uh, because if not, I kind of get this furrowed brow and uh, have this, this, I don't know, I don't think it's grumpy. I think I'm, I, I say I'm focused on higher things, but uh, <laughs> usually I'm trying to figure out what trades the bears could make to make their season better. So, um, but in all of that, right, there, there is this, there is this practice of joy. And here's the reason why we have enough reasons around us to not be joyful, there's enough going on in our own lives, in our own families, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our world uh, that, that tend to steal joy from us when we read Scripture, and Christ is the reason why we have joy. And so as we go through, what we wanted to be reminded of is this. Listen, Thanksgiving, uh, even though you know the, the festivities around it, whatever decorations you got from Hobby Lobby that are in your house, You know, give thanks and blessing and all those things. Usually, those have to sit on the wall while we're mumbling under our breath all the tasks we have to do, the people we have to please, the preparations we have to make. Uh, Thanksgiving can kind of have this season where, you know, when it comes time to pray for the meal, then we remember. But then, as soon as we start eating it, then we're arguing with our uncle about some crazy thing in the news and we got this going on over here. You get what I'm saying? We call it Thanksgiving, and there's moments of it, but it's not a season. What we want to do is go into uh, this November with a reminder, not just of this um, facade of being thankful, but to be reminded through reflections in the Psalms of, of to whom and to what we have to be thankful. And we want to look at joy because there's enough that steals our joy. The angels appear to the shepherds inviting them to the best birthday party they'd ever been to or any of us and the angels say this fear not for behold i bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord get it the reason why there's going to be great joy for how many people okay so you're not excluded because of what's going on in your life this is for all the people Christ is here. So it's good news of great joy, though will be for all the people. I wonder how often we celebrate that joy or how easy it is to miss it when the angels proclaim that this is what this good news is going to do in our lives. Jesus, praying in John 17, we worked through this this summer, letting them know that the life ahead of them and following him was not going to be easy, but he does say this, he says, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Jesus said, saying, I've taught, I've modeled, I've walked with, I've shown, I, I've, I've, I've lived out the life of God here on earth. I've shown them who God is, and it's going to be rough ahead, but I've, I've told them all these things, and I've shared all this stuff so that they would have my joy made complete and them. The idea is this, the joy of the Lord can be made complete in us, but it is a discipline. It's an area of discipleship. There's things we have to surrender and give up. There's things we need to take hold of and assume. You get it? The issue for a lot of us isn't just that some people have lives that are easier to be joyful and I don't. A lot of times in my experience, I've watched people that have gone through some of the worst storms in life that carry the most joy is because they've made a decision that the storm around them isn't going to be what sinks their boat, but it's going to be the Christ that's in the boat with them that's going to keep them afloat. The difference for a lot of us is that we lose sight of that because it's easier to complain whatever the news is complaining about. It's easier to get wrapped up in whatever circumstances are happening around us. In the meantime, we don't know we're taking on water. We just wonder why everything's terrible. And what we find throughout Scripture, I don't know if you've read Genesis to Revelation, it's not like they had it easy. And in this, we've got people praying and singing and speaking and sharing this good news of great joy that is, in fact, for all people. The angels announce their good news will bring great joy. Jesus paints a clear picture of the difficult life but says in letting them know this, he's going to say it so that his joy could be made full in us. It's almost as if Jesus was teaching that the circumstances around us don't determine the joy in us. Let that one hang with you for a minute. Everything going on around you is not the determination of whether you have joy. It's what Christ is doing in you. There's there's this image, and we see it often, actually in the city of Jerusalem. There's there's this spring that flows through the city. Life comes from inside of it. It's not uh, what's happening on the outside. It's what's going on on the inside that sustains. Often, we are getting overwhelmed by all the bad news around us that we end up forgetting the good news that's for us. Many of us have been in proximity to God but continue to sink in the chaos around us rather than finding the joy in Christ who has gone before us. This week, we're starting this new series called Unsinkable Joy, practicing joy when it matters most. I like this imagery of a lifeboat, right? Uh, If if you need a lifeboat, you need to have built it before you needed it, right? (laughs) It doesn't help you that much if in the moment where things start tanking, then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, where did I put that lifeboat so that I don't drown in the middle of the ocean? You get the image? It's a thing that needs to be built in preparation for possibly when the situation would arise that it is ready and it's there. I'm going to say joy's in the same way. Uh, joy is this, uh, it, it's not just an emotion, it's a practice, it is a disposition, it's a place in our heart. It's a posture, it's a perception, it's how we view things. It's a reality in us that exudes from us, right? And the more we build a sturdier understanding of the source and foundation of that joy in Christ, the easier it is when that next storm comes. Not that it won't hit you, not that it won't wreck you, not that it won't mess with you. It just won't take you down because there's a joy in you that moves you forward towards eternity rather than temporary things that drown you because they got you. Life is tough, following Jesus is tough, and all the struggles, we can lose the practice of thanksgiving and hope and abiding in his presence and joy. Joy is a practice and it's a discipline. We need to remember the source and situation of our joy so we can practice it, no matter what's happening around us, that we can have the Lord's joy in us. Psalm 32 is where we're going to be today. This is a psalm that uh, there, there's a fancy theological term for, it, but that's not going to help us today. Ultimately, it gets couched in a few psalms uh, that are believed to have been out of the, um, the, 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 the sin of David with Bathsheba. Uh, they're, they're these kind of reflection psalms of that moment and that situation and everything that happened. I want you to think about this with me, right? Right? David completely wrecks everything. And in that, there's a woman who was violated, a family who was destroyed, a husband who was killed. There was sin that was hidden. There was a baby who died. And in all of that, David's family is falling apart in complete destruction. The country around him is falling apart in large part because of his family. Does that sound familiar? What we've got to work with here is in the middle of that, there's these words that David sings out. There's times that David has. One of the moments in here that's absolutely beautiful is to find David's reflection, not out of his sin, but out of his Savior. Uh, if you would stand, I want to read with us Psalm 32. And I want us to find in here, everything around David is run down and falling apart. But in the midst of that, here is David's words out of Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin my body wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy on me my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of the summer I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord you didn't forgive you did forgive the guilt of my sin therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found surely in a great flood of great waters they won't reach him you are my hiding place you deserve you preserve me from my trouble you surround me with songs of deliverance i will instruct you and teach you in the way to which you should go i will counsel you with my eye upon you do not let do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding whose trappings include bit and brittle to hold them in check otherwise they will not come near you Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord's loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all you who are upright in heart. Father, would you impart these words to us in a way that we need to hear? Father, would you help us walk through this in a way that walks us through our own uh, family mess, our own um, struggles with what's going on in the world around us. Father, would you, would you anchor our soul in the way that you anchored David's? Uh, would you help us clear up the things that it's too easy for us to focus on so that we can remember you who it's sometimes too easy to forget? Father, we, we give ourselves to you and ask that you would have your way with us in this word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen you can have a seat. As we talk about practicing joy when it matters the most, I want us to think about how we can shift our life and our living uh, from being run down to rejoicing. How do we shift our attitude from feeling run down to rejoicing? How do we shift our perspective from feeling like the world has eroded us, it's beat us down, that we are run down, it's running on empty, Uh, we are depleted, exhausted, overwhelmed, and outraged? How do we shift from that to a life where joy and rejoicing is what flows and comes out of us? The first thing I want us to do as we look through this psalm is look at this. If we're going to shift from being run down to rejoicing, we need to become consumed by the blessing of our salvation. Become consumed by it. Let the reality that you're not heading where you used to be heading overwhelm you. Understand the weight of your sin and what it took to take that away and forgive it and put it on Christ as he took it for us. Understand the weight and the power of what it means to to be walking in freedom where you used to be walking in bondage. I believe that we can evaluate the condition of our soul by simply looking at how we talk about our enemies and the people we disagree with. Say that again. I think often we can evaluate our souls by evaluating how we talk about our enemies and people we disagree with. A lot of times that's where we'll find whether Christ is our anchor, our hope, our stronghold, our secure, our fortress, where our hiding place is, or whether it's in a perceived notion of what we think it should be, and then we're against everyone who doesn't have that. You get the image? Because Jesus shows up pretty opposed to a lot of things but shows up giving life and giving it abundantly, shows up blessing, shows up saving, shows up redeeming, shows up to people no one was showing up to. And so what I want us to wrap our minds around here is you may claim a life of rejoicing Jesus, but for some of us, take a look at our conversations and our social media interactions. And what would we would reveal would be a life consumed with outrage, opposition, and maybe even personal opinions. What the world hears from us is not the joy in us, it's the run downness of the evil world around us. You following me? No one? Okay. Do we need to take a breath? Is this too much? No? All right. What we are consumed by is what comes out of our mouth. Listen to David and what comes out of his. How blessed is he whose wrongdoing is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is a person whose guilt the Lord does not take into account and in whose spirit there is no deceit. How often do people hear this story from you? About how blessed you are because God has forgiven the wrong that you've done. How blessed you are because Jesus' blood covered your sin. How blessed you are and how you're living because your guilt is no longer considered by God. How blessed you are because you no longer have need to hide or twist the truth because the truth in your life overshadows all else. Is that what you're known for? Is someone who can't stop talking about the blessing of the Lord in your life and what he's transformed in you, and what he's transformed for you, and how his spirit has reshaped who you are and made you a new creation. That you're not who you used to be. When we hear David, what we hear is a reminder that while his family and his world is falling apart, there's something God's still doing in his own soul. The consequences of his sin haven't stopped. But the forgiveness of it's taken over. What comes out of our mouths is an indicator of what's in our heart. There's a moment in Jesus' ministry where he was being asked by the Pharisees why he and his disciples were breaking all of these cultural and religious laws, specifically about eating rituals. And if you'll remember in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus replies like this, hear and understand, it is not what goes out into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Go to 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. You catch that? What we talk about, or in a digital age, what we type about. Right? The things that come out of us, all it is doing is showing the people in front of us what's going on inside of us. And oftentimes, we can look at the percentages of the content we talk about. And what I read when I reading this song, is David reflecting and rejoicing, uh, reminding himself and claiming that blessing that's over him, and being reminded of all the reasons he has to be blessed in a life situation where it looks like everything is beating him down. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, and murder, and adultery, and sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So what we say can mess with who we are. The question is, when we're going through these things, and when the storms are around us, and the situations arise in us, are we people who explain the blessing that we're consumed by, or we people that complain about our outrage and our opinions of what is going on around us? As disciples of Jesus, we need to crucify any value in speaking what's on our mind or in our heart and live into the discipline of speaking from a life that's been submitted to God and is overflowing with the blessings of our salvation. Too often, we don't make a big enough deal of our forgiveness, Would you agree? And not the person next to you, like the one sitting in your chair. That too often, we cannot make a big enough deal about our own forgiveness, and so we end up looking at what needs to be forgiven in everyone around us. When we overlook our salvation story, we lose joy in what God has done. When we live consumed by the joy of our salvation, we live a blessed life second thing I want us to look at in Psalm twenty or 32 is this. If we're going to shift from being run down to rejoicing, contemplate the erosion caused by your sin. There's joy when you know what sin's done in your life because then you know what you've been forgiven of. Sometimes, I will speak for myself, it's easy to cap off and say, man, that was my new birth, I'm in a new living hope, I'm here now. And I forget what was behind me, which I think is okay in a lot of ways. I don't want to be shackled to it or bound by it. But I forget who I was and what I'd done. I forget everything in my life uh, that produced the sin that was pulling me away from God. And in that, it's easy just to assume that my entire life is this new life. And so when I look at other people, all I see is their old life. Have you ever done that? What's a helpful practice for us is to go back and remember not to get stuck in it, not to get messed around with it, not to let it invade our life and our soul, but it is helpful to be reminded of the power of the resurrection and what needed to be put to death. Verse 3 says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body, or another way of translating body, my bones wasted away. Get it? Uh, When I didn't think about it, when I didn't talk about it, you remember this moment in David's life between the sin and Nathan coming and pointing it out? In that moment of silence, I said nothing, and it felt like things were eroding away. Everything was crumbling through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Talking about the hand of the Lord, heavy on him. My vitality failed as with the dry heat of summer. Uh, That word vitality uh, is used in plants. Uh, uh, to talk about like the juice so it's literally this this source of life drained out of me as in a famine or a dry parched desert get it when i was there there was nothing when sin was all around me it depleted everything It took me down and it took me away. It it eroded the goodness. It took away uh, my perception of blessing. I lost sight of who God was. Everything went away because of it. Do you feel the erosion of life caused by sin? Body bones wasted away, groaning all day long. God's hand heavy on him, life sucked dry. Sin is making him run down. It reminds me of the imagery, because we find the end result somewhere around Ezekiel 37. Remember that image of the valley of dry bones? I know that they're painting a different picture, but what came to mind was this, is this image of these dry bones that had wasted away where life was no longer in them, and these were God's people. And God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to them, speak. Tell them what's true, right? And watch them, and all of a sudden, you remember, if you don't, man, if you don't know this story, this is a good one, right? If this was made into a movie, it would freak you out, okay? So it's that moment, like all the bones in this boneyard start coming together, and skin starts covering, and muscles grow, and all of a sudden, they look like humans, but there's an issue. There's no life. Because God had not yet breathed into them All they had was the produce of man's ministry. Can I say this gently? Sometimes we surround ourselves with great teaching and preaching and people who teach the word and share the word and have written about the word, and we receive, we receive, we receive, we receive, and we end up in this posture where we look alive, but we're pretty dead because it's been people who've spoken to us, but God's not yet breathed into us got it? That we can be surrounded by the prophecy without being overwhelmed by his presence. And in this is where we find David speaking out of as this reality and this moment of catching himself. Man, right? He'd been walking with the Lord. This wasn't like his sin way, 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 way before. This was, he'd been doing really good, Right? As a commander, as a, uh, a king even, as a, a, he, this was the anointed one, this was the guy. And then all of a sudden, everything falls. And he goes and he reflects of the wasted awayness of his life. Some of us have become comfortable with our current reality, mistaking it as the fullness of our new life in Christ. You may look better than you used to on the outside, but you know that there's a weariness in your heart, a heaviness in your soul or a darkness in your mind. You have experienced the erosion of sin. You know it really well. Some of us are feeling that erosion in our life and our soul right now. And can I tell you, that's not just a bad day and you're not just experiencing a tough season. This is not just a cloud that is hanging over you. Some of us need to take an inventory of the condition of our soul and see this ongoing separation from God that's eroding the fullness of your life. It's not someone else's fault all the time. It's not because you've just been dealt a bad hand. Sometimes it might be that we live in patterns of sin and denial that just continually erode at that fullness of life for us. Changing habits, rhythms, and routines will not work for this kind of thing. There is not a self-help book from Amazon that's gonna walk you through this. You don't need a solution for your symptoms, you need a savior for your sin. If you are following King Jesus as Lord over your life, there is joy that comes in remembering and deeply thinking through what sin had eroded in your life because then you can look at your present day and see what God's built out of what was lost. If this feels like your life right now and Jesus is not Lord over your life, we've all been there too. But the only reason we can rejoice is because we've been redeemed. And that's available. If you are a believer, but you're caught in a season of life that is far from God, and this description feels all too familiar, don't forget, David keeps writing. There's more that follows. Read with me. Because the third thing I want us to look at is this. When we confess our rebellion and we embrace our forgiveness. Psalm 32, verse 5. He then says this. That erosion had happened but I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my guilt. I acknowledged it. I I didn't push it away. I didn't blame it away. I acknowledged it. I pointed it out where it was and I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my guilt. Uh, In my Bible, I had written this quote from Warren Wiersbe. It says, guilt is to the conscience what pain is to the body. It hurts when it hangs around too long. David says, I will confess my wrongdoings to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt out of my sin. Or sorry, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Uh, That word for wrongdoings there uh, can also be translated transgression, some of your Bible might say, or rebellion. That out of God's goodness, we just went and did our own thing and went our own way and parted ways with God to do whatever it was. But it wasn't just choosing a different option, it was walking away from the Father. Confession is hard, isn't it? That's why most of us don't do it. Because it's easier to create defense mechanisms to make sure we don't have to confess, uh, confess any wrongdoing. We can blame others, right? Usually it's someone else's fault. We can hide the truth of what's actually happening. We can normalize sin and convince everyone around us that it's not that bad point out someone else's life and make them seem worse so you don't feel so bad, right? Teddy Roosevelt was a little wrong. Sometimes the comparison is not always the thief of joy, right? As long as I can be convinced they're worse than I am, I can feel okay, right? Well, it's not like I'm that. But I love David gets in a spot where his heart with the Lord has been restored and it's been renewed and he knows because he was able to point it out and express it to the Lord, acknowledge it, that that's where things start shifting. David prays in Psalm 51 over these same events. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, would you, would you build that back in? I've lost it. 1 John 1.9 John reminds us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Something happens when we're able to honestly look in the mirror and see every part of our lives lived in rebellion to God. When we confess it to God, we are acknowledging that it is true of us so we can receive what is true of God. The guilt, the shame, the decay of sin weighs so heavy. And forgiveness breaks the bondage and makes us free and we live in that freedom where Jesus says, listen, if, it, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And some of us, the Son is set free, but we still have been convinced or stay in the spot where the guilt is overwhelming and we don't live into the fullness of the freedom. Confess your rebellion to the Lord and he will forgive. Verse 6, he says, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. That's a weird verse. When God can be found, as though it's like fishing, where in the morning the fish are biting heavier, right? Around 2 o'clock, God seems to be found easier. What are we talking about, right? I love John Calvin explains it this way. It's not that there are times when God cannot be found. This is in the time you are stimulated by a sense of your own need to repent back towards God. In that moment where you know you need to, cry out to God. Because he's there, and you can see him, and you know how to find him, and you know how to talk to him, and you know how to confess it, and you know where to go to acknowledge it, but you know as well as I do. Give it a couple hours, and you're on to the next thing. And that moment that could have shifted and shaped everything is gone, and you're back to the weight and the bondage. Often God exposes sin, and rather than confess in prayer, we cover it up in shame says, certainly in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Get it? No matter how deep it gets out there, it's not going to touch where I am with him. You are my hiding place. You keep me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. It's powerful. If you go back and read uh, this story in Scripture where David sins with Bathsheba and this moment happens, what you find is is while they're waiting to find out if this baby was going to live or not, he is not eating, nobody's talking to him, and when he finds out that the baby has passed, he goes into the temple and he sings. He returns back to the Lord. Because sometimes, for us, remembering the weight, the weight of sin if we back to the hands of the Lord, will draw us into his presence, not make us hide from it. David's response when his world collapsed was to go into the temple and worship. I wonder if our lack of joy is because when we get run down, rather than confessing our rebellion, we complain about something or someone else around us. A little bit of Jesus, don't mess with the speck in someone else's eye when you got a log hanging out of your own. But we can see that one right? Confess your wrongdoing and embrace your forgiveness. Don't hold on to what Jesus has freed you from. Here's the fourth and last thing. Celebrate being surrounded by God's goodness. And I say that because for many of us, it's easy to be surrounded by the world's badness. And that can consume us to the point where that's what we live out of. You get the difference? It's either the badness of the world around us that is what we're living out of, or it's the goodness of God in us that what we're living out of. And we make that decision. Which one will overflow? Which one will uh, fill us up? Which one will come out? Which one will people experience in our life? People who carry the name of Christ but are the best complainers in the office? Or people who carry the name of Christ and just seem to know how to walk on the storms of life with Jesus rather than being consumed by them? When you know where you've been and who you've been and you've experienced the forgiveness of God and Jesus and the new life you live is now found only in him, living in a rejoicing life of joy is the natural response to a redeemed life. How could you look at the eternal perspective of that story and not live out of eternal praise? Here we read God's reply to David and in it we find God's word to all of us. In verse 8, he says, I will instruct you, and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will advise you with my eye upon you. You're not going to do this alone. It reminds us of Jesus right after the Great Commission, and he ends with this word, and lo, I will be with you always till the very ends of the age. You're not going to do this by yourself. I will walk with you. I will teach you. I will shepherd you. I will guide you. You don't have to figure this out on your own. You need to walk with me or you'll never figure it out. We are not led, I'll say this in a Christian life, we are not led by our opinions, our outrage, our overwhelmed exhaustion. We are not led by what we think to be true. We are led by God who will show us where He is. He will remind us that He's personally watching over us and as He leads us. There isn't a team, an ideology, a political party, there is not a group of friends or an aspiration in life that will teach you, instruct you, and lead you in the way that God can. So detach from it. Let go of it, or as Revelation says, uh, right, uh, uh, come out of it. So you can cling fully to the goodness of God. So that it pervades every area of your life. So that when people want to know how your weekend is, you don't go, I guess, I don't know busy everything's busy you know oh how's how's things going with you know the family right songs hymns spiritual songs or that you know whatever we choose right but you get the perspective if you are overwhelmed and consumed by the goodness of god not a naive one one that goes back and remembers who you used to be and what you used to be doing And you've seen God with a mighty hand pull you out of the bondage you were in and set you free in the life that you've got. And then to think, how could we get so consumed by the things we get consumed by? How could we not share this with others? How could we not become overwhelmed by his goodness and overflow it to the people around us? Verse nine. It's a nice comparison here. Thanks, David. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but has to be controlled by bit and brittle, or they will not come to you. You get the image? You're either going to be in the presence of the Lord or you're going to be controlled by someone else. That's it. That's your options. We live in a time where we can pridefully announce that we think for ourselves, and then we can make fun of everyone who doesn't think for themselves. Well, the way it shows up here, as long as it has anything to do with that's not the Lord, we're being controlled by something else. And we'll put down those who don't think like we do. The truth is we are always following someone else. Even when you think you're following you, my guess is that may not be true unless you are being led by the life message methods model of jesus you are more likely more like this horse and mule which has to be led because we don't understand the will and ways of god verse 10 he says the sorrows of the wicked are many but the one who trusts in the lord read it with me goodness does what read it again goodness does what goodness surrounds him surrounds you immerses you, overflows you. The goodness of God becomes so all-consuming we don't know how to get out of it. Another way of asking is this, are you trusting the Lord or are you trusting in other people or things? Will life for you be good when God gets his way or your party, or your candidate or team or ideology or whatever you think when they get their way. Could we release all of that so we can put full stake and trust in the Lord so we could be overwhelmed and consumed by his goodness and live out of that? That doesn't mean we live naive. In fact, it means we live with our eyes open to the reality of who God is and what he's doing. Verse 11, he says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Don't forget, while he's praying this, his family is crumbling and so is his country. But because of what God's doing in him, he still says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. The goodness of God is all around the one who trusts in the Lord. Child of God, you have been saved from your sin. You've been redeemed from the death you were heading towards. You've been forgiven of all of your sin. You've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. If that doesn't cause you to rejoice, then I don't know what in this world you think ever will. This isn't just good news, it's the good news. We were dead in our sin, but we've been made alive in Christ. Our sins were forgiven when Jesus' life was given. We have been saved from the world by the Son of God sent to this world. People who claim Jesus as Lord but live void of joy have no powerful testimony in a world dying of sin. The world is looking for a new overflowing life that has God's fingerprints of supernatural salvation all over it. And if they don't see evidence of it in the church, where else are they supposed to go? Would you Work this month to shift your perspective, your attitude, your outlook, and your conversations away from all that sin has run down to all the reasons you have to rejoice in the Lord. And you have many. Some of you know, you've lived in these families where for the last couple years, uh, Thanksgiving has looked radically different because there's people who can't even have dinner together as a family because of what they believe outside of what's going on. I know many. It's not hypothetical. Could this be a year where instead of getting wrapped up in all that, That when people come together at your house or you go to theirs, what you're bringing is the overflowing of the goodness of God, a rejoicing presence and perspective that showers people with what God's doing in your life, what he's shaping in your life, what he's brought you out of, and what you believe he's taking you towards. Could it be your testimony that is a cause for rejoicing this year instead of everything else? I want us, as we go into communion, and if you don't have communion, uh, it's in the back of the room, As we take communion, what I love is uh, in this moment of Jesus' life, they were gathered around at one of the Jewish festivals or celebrations. One of these key moments in the life of Israel where they were to gather around and remember what the Lord has done, where they were to celebrate. If you don't have communion, you can raise your hand and we've got people bringing them around. But Jesus is gathered around the same table, remembering... This moment back in Exodus, well for us it's Exodus, remembering back to their history when they were in slavery and bondage in Egypt and Lord with a mighty hand miraculously brought them out. And there was a moment where they took the blood of a sheep and they put it over the doorpost of their homes and because they were covered by the blood, the spirit of judgment passed over them. Passover. And the moment they're remembering is that because our homes were covered by the blood, that that judgment passed over. Jesus takes the same meal, but he knows what's about to happen that night. The disciples don't yet fully understand. And at that same moment, in that same meal, where Jesus takes the cup and he takes the bread, uh, there's moments where they were going back and they were remembering what God had done in their life. What they probably didn't yet know was that within a couple hours that what they were also doing was preparing themselves to remember what God was about to do. And for us, often we can look at the cross in hindsight because historically timeline linear it is for us. But I think it's just as true for us to have in this moment still, the blood is still covering. There's still forgiveness there. We still get passed over what we deserve because of the blood. And this one isn't just from an animal, it's from the Lamb of God. It's from Christ who died a death he didn't deserve so that we could live a life that's only found by grace. And so Jesus, when he took this meal, if you'll stand, Luke chapter 22 verse 19 says he took the bread he did what and they did what he gave thanks He was about to be in a garden crying so hard that blood was showing up but he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. Would we eat this together to remember Jesus? In the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. But we drink this to remember him? Paul later, as he's reflecting to the church in Corinth about their uh, lazy practices of communion, as he wraps up this story with them, he reminds them, the church, in the same way that we need to be reminded, where he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes proclaim just doesn't mean just saying it loud there's joy implied with proclaiming proclaiming is because of what's going on in here i can't help but to let it go out here it's what we read in psalms david says blessed is the one who's been redeemed and set free blessed is the one who's been forgiven blessed is the one It's where we get to praise and rejoice. It's where we sing out and sing loud. We get to talk about, not hold in and keep silent. We get to talk about and share and celebrate and get overwhelmed by the goodness of God in our life because we've got a reason to rejoice. We joyfully proclaim the Lord's death because like David, our reason why, instead of living run down, is because in Jesus, we can rejoice. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you for what you've done. God, we, we proclaim that if it wasn't for Jesus, we'd be lost and hopeless, but because of Jesus, God, we can't wait till your return. We look forward to it. We don't fear it. We're not, a, we're not nervous about it. Father, we are prayerfully expecting because we just want to be with you because we know what it's been like when you've come to be with us. Father, would you, would you move us deeper in your presence until you take us fully home? Would you remind us the goodness we have here because of what you've done? And Father, would you point us towards you and remember that there will be a time where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain because this old order of things will pass away. And until then, will we live a life of rejoicing, not because of what you've not done yet, but because of what you've already done in Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.